Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is David Hardesty for this one, the man behind clutchfans.net, the OG Houston Rockets fan site, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. So congratulations on the anniversary, David. And how disappointed are you that John Wall just missed four mid-range jumpers while I was introducing you? (laughs) Thanks for that introduction, Robert. I I appreciate it. Uh, It's crazy. I mean, this is a a, a rocket season that's in in transition and John Wall's been sort of the ups and the downs. You know, you've seen a lot with him this year. You know, I, I got to talk about Wall for a second because, you know, I could cut Steven Silas and Rafael Stone a lot of breaks this year, but you and I know that D'Antoni and Maury wouldn't be putting up with Wall's shot selection. I mean, the last thing I thought would happen with John Wall is that his bad at ISO ball, terrible shot selection and constant turnovers would make me wonder if we actually did trade Russell. Did we trade Russell Westbrook, David? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing about that is when they made that trade, I thought Wall was a slight upgrade for a team concept. Russ puts up the numbers. I mean, that's that's for sure. He's a force of nature. He, he does uh, a lot of great things. But both of those contracts are pretty much unmovable, and it, it required both of them to be flipped and the Rockets were the ones who got the first round pick out of the deal. So I, I think that alone was worth it. But, you, you know, you bring up a, a very interesting point about Wall and, and, and sort of, you know, isolations and then step in and shoot from 18 feet. And there's always been that debate between analytics and people who, you know, old school vets who say, you know, hey, you, you, if you can step in three feet and that's a better shot for you, take it. But it's very tough as Rocket fans, especially the ones who who live and breathe Rocket basketball, to watch this current team and not think, why are we going away from all of the efficient offensive stuff that 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 they do? Now, granted, this team has all kinds of problems shooting three pointers, and and so that's a big problem. That's a big issue with the team. They're still shooting a lot of threes, but you know they they've embraced the mid range. Uh, you know, Wall doesn't seem to, to quite get that concept. And so that, I think that is frustrating for fans to watch, knowing that, you know, it, it, they've got to they've got to make some changes to get back to the rocket ball that, that we've known for, for quite a few years. Yeah, the thing with Wall is I just I'm just shocked that he's been as bad a brain as a player as he's been, because this is a guy that was a former all star. I thought well, you know, we're not going to have crazy Russ doing his weird stuff and, and the stuff that would just drive me up the wall. Uh, well, Wall's been around for 11 years. He's played better in playoff situations than Westbrook has over the last few years. So I thought m- maybe that was an upgrade. What's incredibly frustrating is John Wall looks the same athletically pre-Achilles, but as a player, I can rattle off, David, maybe 14 or 15 primary ball handlers in the NBA that I'd rather have over John Wall. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I can, you could probably make a strong argument for sure on that. I, but I, I think what we saw in that Minnesota game where the Rockets gave up 22 straight points at the end of the game and Wall had, you know, just issue after issue and then ultimately driven the ball off his foot. And, and you know, so many things went wrong. It, it, it's tough right now. I mean, it's got to be tough for him. I mean, he came in here. He's got a good friend to Marcus Cousins. You know, he was excited about playing with James Harden. He believed he was going to be playing with James Harden, and and so much is falling apart around him. It's got to be tough. I have to I have to say, putting myself in his shoes, to be that guy on this team that 
right now, nobody really wants to play. You know, we couldn't couldn't get Victor Oladipo to to lock in on this team and, and give it a hundred percent effort. So I, I applaud him for you know being the guy who's trying to go out there and, and bust it and uh, has you know represented H Town and all those things. But yeah, he's he's a flawed player. I mean, he's he's not a great shooter. And I'm telling you, any ball dominant player th- these days who's not a great shooter is is limiting your team. I mean, it, it, it's that simple. I mean, even Ben Simmons, as great as he is uh, defensively and the other things that he does, I mean, it's well known that his inability to shoot threes is is a sore spot. But a guy like Wall or even Westbrook, I mean, when they can't hit threes and they're ball dominant, it's that's a tough thing to to have to endure. And, and, you know, this particular team is where they are right now because they can't shoot threes, you know, as a team, the entire team, really. Uh, might as well get into the elephant in the room, David, because the hardened trade, we got to go back to that. Oladipo's mess last week kind of connects with everything. And I was listening to you and David Wiener on the Clutch Fans pod, and David kept saying what happened to Oladipo is 2020 hindsight. Well, it's not 2020 hindsight because if you listen – just about any of the national guys that are worth their salt, whether it was Zach Lowe or Kevin O'Connor, whoever, nobody liked the Oladipo part of the trade. I didn't like it either because I feared exactly what would happen. If Oladipo didn't look like his old self, you weren't getting anything for him at the deadline because, you know, he's not somebody that uh, anybody was going to have restricted free agent rights. You know, the cost of him is it's, it's difficult with his age and his injury history. But if you got Allen and Levert, you either would like them enough to build around them because they're much younger, or they'd be much easier to flip at the deadline. Both guys would net you more than, you know, more because they were easier to keep. Jared Allen's a restricted free agent. Levert had two extra years. That's going to help your major contenders who would want to give up real capital for, you know, somebody that's not a rental. You know, a lot of these teams... Obviously, David, they're they're in a bind. They've given away so many of their picks, and you knew that as the Rockets going into this. And you're like, well, if if we're going to deal somebody at the deadline, those contenders that would want Oladipo, why are they giving up a major pick that they don't even have at this point? Most of them don't have those first round picks because they gave it up for Paul George or Harden or for whoever. You know what I mean? You make a great point. I'll say a great point. Um, it's hard for me to criticize a trade when I was okay with it at the time. I wasn't in love with Victor Oladipo, but I did like Oladipo, the player, and the contract better than Karis LeVert. Now, I will say, though, the part of this this deal that does deserve criticism, and you're right, it wasn't hindsight's 2020, is if everyone else in the league knew that Miami, you know, that he wanted to be in Miami, he was going to Miami. And, you know, there were other issues with Oladipo. Why didn't the Rockets know? Were they mainly interested in the expiring contract aspect? So so to me, it's not that, you know, oh, we would be so much better off if we had Karis LeVert. It's what is Karis LeVert's value on the trade market with three years left at 18, per, 18 million per per year, something like of that nature for three years? What's his trade value on the market compared to Victor Oladipo's expiring contract? And if LeVert has more trade value than period. They made a mistake because this team should not be trying to compete right now. In, in my personal opinion, if they thought Victor Oladipo was, you know, their guy and let, let's put him out there and roll him out there, then they deserve some criticism because it obviously didn't work out. But to me, it's just a matter of, you know, gauging Levert's trade value on the market against Oladipo's trade value on the market because the Rockets should be stockpiling picks and assets 
so that they can pounce at the right time. They need to get some draft, accumulate some draft picks, hit on a couple of them, uh, and trade some of them to to add necessary pieces. And to me, that's that's where they failed. It was asset management. It wasn't the on-court product, oh, we'd be better with Karis LeVert. It was simply asset management. I think Rafael Stone deserves a lot of credit. He's been good. He's made a lot of good moves. They misstepped here. That, that's the only way you could put it is they just – they watched that trade value just – diminished right before their eyes and at the very last second they just took the scraps that were that were there now we will see what happens next year when this draft pick flip becomes available i mean if they move up eight to ten spots which maybe is a little generous but certainly possible then it could be worth it because i think david weiner in that podcast made a great point in that would you rather have two second round picks or would you rather move up from say 28 to 18 in the draft because it would probably take more than two second round picks to do that on draft day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he made some great points, but I, I just want to bang the table a little bit more on Jared Allen because one of the national guys I trust settled a lot of teams were asking about him at the trade deadline from Cleveland. And, and a quick aside on Allen, I heard a lot of noise from Rockets fans about how he wasn't a good fit here because of Christian Wood. I can't disagree with that more. The defending champion Lakers spent most of last year playing Anthony Davis alongside JaVale McGee. Not much difference between those two and what Wood and Allen. And today's NBA isn't necessarily about one particular lineup. It's about having versatility, the ability to play different lineups for different situations. And why, David, why, David, are we getting suckered into this idea that without five shooters on the floor at all times, you can't contend for a title? I, I just disagree with that. We may disagree a little bit on this one. And I will say, you know what? You may be right, and I may be wrong. I, I look at the Jared Allen thing, and I think to myself, I don't understand the criticism because they got a first-round pick. Could be a very good first-round pick. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, it, at the time, it was a 2022 Milwaukee Unprotected, which is probably going to be in the 20s, but we just don't know. And now it's a 2023 uh, Milwaukee Unprotected, and the, the uncertainty is a little bit greater but again, I I was echo the same sentiments I said before. Could you have gotten more for Allen on the open market? Because he has half a season or at the time, most of a single season left before he is about to get, you know, triple digit millions here. And do you want to sign him to that? And once you do sign him to that, what's his trade value? Because when you're team building, it's all about rookie contracts. And if you want to get guys at the end of their rookie contracts, you have to pay them. And that's when you have to make that key decision of, is this guy part of our core and if he's not, and you give him that $100 million contract, can we move him? Because you're going to have to move him for equivalent or close to equivalent salary unless you're um, you know, well into the cap or something of that nature or, that, or you're dealing with a team that's under the cap, excuse me. And so to me, I, I'm not sure I look at Allen and Wood as like, okay, you're, you're going to be fine there. I mean, and Wood can shoot threes. I don't know. I don't, uh, to be honest, I don't know enough about Allen if, if his range is out there. And that's where I say I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those two could play together. But I just look at it as, as you know, Allen's about to get paid, and I don't think the Rockets are in a position to pay anybody unless they know this guy is, you know, a core piece part of their future. Yeah, as far as, you know, having bigs that can do everything, it's so hard to find. And you've got to put somebody next to Wood that can handle some of the best big guys in the NBA. If you're talking about he's a piece for you guys winning a championship and you're talking about trying to defend either a Joel Embiid or – you know, any of the main guys that in the post these days, whether it's Jokic or whoever, the thing about the Jared Allen deal is if you if you did trade him, he's such a valuable guy. He's a restricted free agent, number one. And that makes a huge difference because 
look, you can say, oh, he's going to get $100 million on the market. Are we sure about that? He's basically Clint Capella from a couple of years ago. And the Rockets did what the smart thing to do with the restricted free agent because you can play chicken with other teams and say, okay, we're going to wait and see if anybody wants to make a move on him because if you do, then they're, they're locked in. They're handcuffed to that guy waiting for the Rockets to respond like they did with Capella. If they don't do it, then his value drops like Capella's value did. It wasn't $100 million. It wasn't $20 million a year. And Capella was, you know, somebody that you could absolutely trade if you get into a Capella contract and you didn't like the w- which way it was going because he still has value out there. People still need guys that can do that in the NBA. And I, I just, th- that's my frustration with Jared Allen. And I just simply would have liked to have both of those guys on the front line as defensive guys because it, it gives you that versatility defensively. If one guy's out of the paint, the other guy's there. And you and I are old enough to remember when Elijah Juan and Samson were doing that stuff. And it's hard to get past that. And, and, and I get it. It's different, different times in the NBA. But I still believe that even if you're not ending with Jared Allen on the floor, if you're paying him 18 or $20 million a year to play 30, 35 minutes a game throughout the season, and he can give you defense and rebounding, and God knows the, the Rockets need rebounding right now and some, some interior defense, it's worth it. And you make a good case. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying you you don't necessarily. I'm just looking at this as the Rockets. The moment they said, "Okay, we need to trade James Harden," and you know James Harden obviously wasn't giving it his full effort, they were no longer contending, and they had to find a new path to contention. They maximized their picks from Brooklyn, and I loved that aspect of the trade. But what they got basically, and, and keep in mind, I think in that trade also Cleveland took on some salary as well. Uh, Prince, I think, is they, they took on in order to, to facilitate that deal because the Rockets had to take on a Torian Prince in that deal. They got Jared Allen and they got Karis LeVert. The part of the deal that deserves criticism is, and it's again, it's unknown, is what could they have gotten for those guys? Because at this point, it's all about just stockpiling assets in the cabinet. It's not so much as can we, tr- you know, turn around and just right away contend. I mean, now if they could have gotten somebody like Shea Gilgis-Alexander or, you know, uh, Brandon Ingram, I think, went to the Pelicans and, and those blockbuster deals uh, with Paul George and, and um, Anthony Davis, that would have been great. But I think as far as the draft hall, they got, that was historic. They did fine there. I would have loved to have seen them get more draft assets than what they did with the players that came in. Allen, you know, Levert to Oladipo. And then just watching all the depots value go to basically pennies was the the aspect where I think they screwed up. But I don't think, you know, overall in this whole trade, whether you got Jared Allen or not, they're not contending right away. They're not going to contend probably for at least a year or two. I mean, and when I say contending, I mean back to the playoffs. It's about accumulating all those assets and just looking for the right moments to pounce to, to, you know, a young player becomes available. You trade for him. I mean, I think it was once in a million when James Harden became available in 2012 the way that situation broke out, I don't think you can get a 23-year-old budding superstar like that. But, you know, they got Kevin Porter Jr. in a, in a moment of weakness for what he was, was going on in Cleveland. I don't know if, how great he will be, but he's got some uh, some good potential. That's the kind of stuff they need to be looking for, in my personal opinion, is young con- young players with a good amount of rookie contract left and draft picks. And, and until they are ready to make that move with a foundation – keep looking for those things, kind of like what OKC is doing right now. 
You mentioned Ben Simmons a couple of times, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Ben Simmons, and and I am not. I'll preface this by saying I'm not the biggest Ben Simmons fan, but he's an all star and a unicorn, and there's a lot of stuff I love about Ben Simmons, and I get the feeling Rafael Stone looks at these Nets first round picks as a way to deal for a star player. What I don't get is Ben Simmons is exactly what you would deal some or all of those picks for to get, you know, that's the whole idea is to get a Ben Simmons. Those guys are really, really hard to find. Plus he was a star who was at the onset of his prime, somebody that matched up well with Christian Wood, same age, someone who was signed to a good long-term contract. And I'd bet all my money that Daryl would have thrown in two first round picks and Ty Maxey, who was another first round pick who, if you didn't like Maxi, you could probably flip to another team for a first-round pick. So that would be the equivalent of three first-round picks plus Ben Simmons. I'll also throw this part in, David. Joel Embiid is always having injury issues. So six or first-round picks are a pretty darn good gamble and maybe a better gamble than Nets picks, who I think we're talking five years away. James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, they're, yeah, they're a couple of those guys are 30. Kyrie's, what, 28. But I mean, I'm looking at the current NBA superstar, and they're usually good till about 35. We're talking five years before we start seeing slippage, and it's Brooklyn. This isn't a small market. So Brooklyn didn't have anything as far as superstars when they went out, and they got Durant and they got Kyrie Irving in that package deal. So it's not po- impossible that. They could go out and find those guys again. Or somebody comes in and says, oh, it looks like Harden and Durant are slipping a little bit. I'll go over there. Maybe one of those two guys takes a smaller deal and and they go, oh, I can still be pretty good. Or this team could still be pretty good because I can play with Kyrie Irving and, and a little bit lesser Harden or Durant or something like that. These are good points. I mean, I think when, when Harden became available, um, I think – Right away, it should have been a Philly that they were they should have been looking at. I mean, Ben Simmons was 24, has you know enormous potential. He can't shoot a lick, but he does everything else extremely well, and he's elite at a defense defensive level. And I thought to myself, you know, you're you're again going up against Zion and and, and Luca, and to have a guy like him would be tremendous. This is a tough one. One, we don't know exactly what picks he was offering. I, I highly doubt Daryl was offering any unprotected picks. That's just me. I think Daryl was leveraging the fact that he had by far and away the best player offered in the deal. Jalen Brown wasn't, uh, wasn't being offered. Um, I think he thought to himself, I have the best deal. Brooklyn can't compete with what I have. Well, but here's the, here's the problem, David, though, if you're Daryl and you're playing, you know, you're, you're playing poker right now and you lose this, you just don't lose the fact that you get James Harden on your team you lose him to Brooklyn, meaning it just became a mountain size, you know, team in front of you. So I, I think you could go, well, Daryl wouldn't have done it. But, you know, you're Rafael Stone. It's like, well, these two guys are giving me seven, you know, or whatever it is, four unprotected first round picks and all these pick swaps. And yeah, Ben Simmons is fine. But if you're not going to take protections off of these an- another couple of first round picks, then forget about it. But even like if you got one unprotected first round pick five years down the road from Daryl and you said that's all you want with Ben Simmons, I still would have done that deal because 
like I said, the, the seven picks that you're getting, and by the way, the first two or three years, they're pretty much worthless already. But the seven picks that you're getting from the Nets, I, I'm just saying all you would be trying to do is, is flipping that for Ben Simmons, basically. Yes and no. I mean, yes, Ben Simmons is the, the kind of guy you're looking for, but there, he also is a flaw. He's, he's probably a one in the league. In other words, a, a superstar who, or a guy who could be the best player on a title team. But he's also pretty flawed, especially in the modern NBA. Now, I'm not I'm not knocking him in the sense that you wouldn't want him. You would. Um, but that's a big issue. I mean, we are, we just came out of a postseason where, you know, players were begging Russell Westbrook to shoot. And you would certainly have that with Ben Simmons. Now, he's a great playmaker and all that stuff. I'm not saying that they wouldn't want Ben Simmons. I think that they should have been in the mix. But Philly couldn't have been offered. They, they The Rockets probably wanted them to offer a lot more picks. Philly couldn't. I mean, I think they had, the, you know, this year, 21 and 23, or they could, uh, I mean, they've already traded their 25 pick to OKC in the Al Horford deal. So they were limited. I mean, they might have been able to flip some guys for, you know, for picks, kind of like what they did, what the Rockets did for, you know, Levert and, and Allen. But as they went with the picks hall, that's what they went with. And, and you look at Ben Simmons, and I don't remember how many years he's got left on his deal. I think he's got probably two or three at $20 million per. I'm not even sure what he has remaining. But it's just a fact that you can't just dump John Wall. And to play John Wall and Ben Simmons together for at least a year or two, I mean, what's, what's the upside on that team? And you, you still have draft picks coming up that you owe to OKC in 24, 26, swap in 25, and, of course, the, the swap this year. And you don't, you wouldn't have the the draft picks to make up for it as you like you did get from Brooklyn. And, and you know, and not to not to change subject, but it's kind of amazing because Brooklyn would be in a very dark spot right now if it wasn't for that trade. I mean, people thought that was a luxury at the time. James Harden's carrying that team. He's the best player on that team. Um, they would not be where they are if it wasn't for him. I mean, KD's been out a lot this year. Kyrie's been flaky. He's been great when he plays, but he's been flaky and had had his issues. They'd be in trouble, uh, and so I don't know where they would be without James Harden. <laughs> and if the Rockets want to maximize the the value, you got to hope that James Harden uses his player option after next season and gets out of there. I mean, again, he's going to be getting older, but um, that's the hope. You need this thing to implode by the end of uh, the 2021-22 season uh, for the Rockets to truly get great value. Right. And I just, like I said, I mean, look at the timeline. You go, oh, well, they're going to be bad in six or seven years. Well, you know, at what point do those picks start becoming meaningful? And I, I just, I, I, I think it's a big bet. And let's also remember this, David, the, the, the whole lottery has been messed with. So it's not like if they go totally in the tank, you're guaranteed to get a top three pick because we're watching this with the Rockets. I mean, look at the lottery odds this year. It's going to be difficult now if you're a top one, two, three, four team to get a pick that's like right where you think it's supposed to be. You're might, you might just end up slipping down a little bit because it, it's, it's kind of, they've kind of leveled the whole playing field with this thing. Yeah. And, and that's frustrating, right? It's been years since they've had to deal with this, you know, being a bottom five team. And there's just no value. And and the real interesting part about it is, as you know, from the OKC swap with the terrible Russell Westbrook trade that they made with Chris Paul, the Rockets only keep that pick if they're in the top four. And so there's really no benefit for the Rockets to be worse than the third worst team in the league because the lottery odds, are, as you said, are the same for teams one, two, and three. 
And all it does is the Rockets become the second worst or the first worst team is benefit OKC and also Milwaukee in the second round because the Rockets wouldn't be using those picks. They certainly wouldn't be in the first round unless they win in the top four. So the Rockets, if they're tanking, if you will, the the, the best they should be or, or the worst they should be, whatever you want to call it, is the third worst team in the league. Let me ask you this because I think a lot of people have thought about this or I know a couple of the guys that cover the Rockets have, have thought about it and, and we've brought it up. What about trading next year's first round pick for the protections taken off with Oklahoma city? And it's probably too late to do that. But if you were the Rockets, would you have done that? Because how often do you get a chance pretty much guaranteed chance of being in the top six? I mean, if the Rockets are one of the three worst teams I think there's a 7% chance maybe that they're uh, the seventh pick, but otherwise they're locked in to this top six. And if you go through this whole season and you're stuck with the Miami Heat pick instead of your own pick, which we assume is going to be in the mid-teens to early 20s, it's going to suck. And and next year you might get up to where you're in the play-in game or something like that. So you're not in that five, top five or six. And this is a draft where... You know, they say any of these top five or six guys could be star players. I would have given up that first round pick because when you're this much of a lock, the Rockets are that much of a lock this year to be right there in the top five or six. I would do it. I mean, Oklahoma City, they can go, well, we don't want to do that, but it's a 50-50 shot. They end up with zilch on this deal. So I'm going to try to understand you're saying you're saying the Rockets should trade their or you're proposing their own 2022 unprotected first round pick to remove the swap this year and the Rockets just pick wherever they land. Yep. Take protections off. Yes. I wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I just, I have to think it through, but I would not, I don't, I don't feel confident the Rockets are going to be out of the lottery next season. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm saying, I just don't feel confident that they will be. And I think given that Miami's I mean, we'll see Miami has a, has an easy remaining schedule left and you know, they're, but they're not playing out of their mind. You know, uh, the worst you know, the Rockets maybe fall from five to 18. They still have a first round pick in, in this proposal. They're giving up an unprotected pick next year, flat out losing an asset. So I don't think I would do that. I'd have to think it through, but I don't believe I would because I feel like, you know, the Rockets need to be in control of those assets from 22 and 23 before these obligations kick back around in 24. So let me ask you that, that, that would lead to my next question. You basically think they could absolutely be in the top five or six next year with potentially a top five pick this year, top six pick this year, and Christian Wood, John Wall, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, potentially adding maybe some other free agent or something like that. You, you think it's real easy for them to be j- just terrible again next year? I wouldn't say real easy. I, I'm not, I don't, I really don't know. Let's see how these guys develop. I mean, we have to see, you know, how, mainly I want to see how Kevin Porter Jr. develops. I mean, he's 20. He's very raw. He's got fantastic offensive skills. He moves well with the ball. He's got some hardened like skills in the, in his ability to isolate and step back and, and those type of things. But he's got a lot of work to do defensively. And, and the Rockets are, are, and Christian Wood as well, puts up good numbers. We've, we've got to see him, you know, anchor a team to a playoff role or, or, or contention. I mean, he, when he kicked tail for Detroit at the end of last year, I mean, it, it wasn't like that those guys suddenly became world beaters and I'm not knocking Christian Wood. I'm just saying he's, he's got to show that he can be 
the best player on a playoff team uh, or, you know, one of the best players on a playoff team. So to me, I, I'm not saying it's a, that they're going to be easily at bottom five team next year. We, there's a lot of things that could change between now and then, but I, I just don't feel I would give up an unprotected pick for the Rockets just to remove that swap because, you know, when you really think it through, OKC cannot get a top four pick from the Rockets, period. It's not going to help get them Cade Cunningham this swap. Now, yeah, it could get them Jalen Green or, some, or somebody along those lines that, that ends up being very good for OKC. But I, the Rockets, if they're in the bottom three, they still have a slightly better odds of keeping it than they do of having to swap. I, I think I would I would stick with the 22 unprotected pick, keep it, and and roll the dice here. It's unfortunate. I mean, because I, like I said, I can't believe that this they're in a position where this swap is going to hurt them. I mean, I hated the Westbrook trade, but did not think the 21 swap would be all that painful. And this is might be the most painful aspect of the deal. We'll see. You mentioned Kevin Porter, and I want to ask you about him because I'm watching Kevin Porter and everybody says, oh, he reminds me of Harden. You know what? He reminds me of Harden, and it reminds me of all the things that drove me crazy about Harden. I, I don't see the focus with him on defense. He looks kind of lackadaisical out there at times. There's not the focus continually uh, on not turning the basketball over or you know, not being where he should be on defense. He sort of loafs sometimes back after, you know, missing a shot. There's just all of that stuff that bothers me. And I know we've put a lot of confidence in, in John Lucas and saying, oh, John Lucas is going to be the guy. But John Lucas has been around for a while. You know, everybody said, oh, John Lucas is going to make Capella's free throw shooting better. Well, he was still about a 55% free throw shooter by the time he left the Rockets. And then he was supposed to, you know, correct some other guys that had some, we've had other guys over the last few years. I don't know if you've noticed that, that aren't all that great mentally, whether it was uh, Royce White or whoever. And I don't know if John Lucas was able to do much with, with many of the other guys. So I'm, the Kevin Porter thing, he, he could work out, but boy, you know, with all of the baggage that he's got and the stuff that I'm seeing now, it, it, it bothers me a little bit. You know, I think as far as John Lucas's role, I'm I'm more focused on him as a as a life coach for KPJ because there's so much that he needs to show maturity wise development in that front on life where John Lucas can really help him. I mean, the Rockets have lots of resources to benefit a player to develop their game to get better to get stronger, all of these things. But John Lucas could really help him uh, in life, and that's where I'm hoping. I mean, first of all, first and foremost is that he'll be you know, just be able to succeed as far as his maturity. That's the first thing. Second thing is, you know, yes, he's, he is similar to Harden. He's only 20 years old. He's got some similar offensive moves and, and certainly similar on the defensive end at that age. But what made Harden great is he was just in love with the craft. He was a master of the craft. He would just constantly work, work, work uh, in the gym. And, you know, he was never in – elite defensive player. I mean, maybe he was pretty dang good in the post, but he got better. Uh, and he, you know, he always busted it to work hard. Does Kevin Porter Jr. have that kind of motor, that kind of motivation? And I think that's, you know, what you hope you have two and a half years to, to figure that out. Ho you know, hopefully he develops along those lines before you get to a point where you've got to commit huge dollars to him. So that's what the hope is The I, the hope is, Kevin Porter Jr. can be a very good ball dominant type player. I look at him as a combo guard. They're looking at him as, you know, a guy who could play point. 
We'll see. But you at least got something, and they got it for free, Robert, and that's what's amazing. I mean, they got, it didn't cost them anything. Right. A top 55 protected second-round pick is literally – you look that up in the NBA dictionary and that means free, you know, it's not going to convey. So they just took on that contract and you almost have to tie it into the Harden trade because, you know, the whole association with Cleveland and that makes it look a little bit better that you ended up getting a guy, a young guy that you can at least try to build around. But I think otherwise, you know, Jay Sean Tate's a good piece. He's got a, I think high upside as a role player. We'll see on KJ Martin. I think he, <laughs> certainly his athletic skills are great and, and there's a lot to like. We'll see how he develops. They've got some good young pieces. I, I think they need to add a lot more and uh, hopefully starts with the top four pick this year. Yeah. The other thing that bugs me going into next year is Kevin Porter's not going anywhere. John Wall's not going anywhere. Jay Sean Tate's not going anywhere. None of them can shoot threes. And it's not just that they're, you know, bad at it. They're just terrible because you can leave them wide open and and they wouldn't know what to do with a three-point shot. And the problem is, you know, in today's NBA, this is not going to work real well. The offense is going to have all sorts of difficulty. And I look at Porter and Wall and both of them are not good off the ball. They don't know what to do when they don't have the ball in there. I mean, you, you've got to get guys that are a little bit better off the ball than this, especially when – you know, you know what Silas wants to do offensively. And I, I, I feel like he wants more ball movement. And don't you notice when John Wall's off the floor, they move the ball better. It's just, it's much better, much more cohesive looking on offense when John Wall's not there. Well, I think if this was John Wall's last year of his contract, they probably wouldn't negotiate a buyout. That's probably what would happen. Uh, he's not long for this team unless things change, uh, you know, but I, when can you trade him realistically? Yeah. You know, this particular offseason is probably going to cost you assets to move him. And the same thing with Eric Gordon. I think Eric Gordon's a very good player. I'm not saying he's a negative on this team, but I mean, they've, they've completely transitioned. I mean, PJ's gone. Harden's gone. They're looking to, to go young and rebuild. And so, you know, hopefully when the time comes, I mean, the, I would like to see John Wall continue to show something this year and, and, maybe get someone to say, hey, you know what? We've got some contracts that we're willing to unload that amassed or amount to $40 million a year and they're expiring this year. Let's let's flip. We'll, we'll take the chance on John Wall for two years and maybe he can be that kind of guy for us. I don't know. It happened with Chris Paul. Chris Paul's a different player than John Wall, I'm not saying, but it did happen. OKC got a positive asset in exchange for, for Chris Paul. But yes, the way John Wall's played this year, it's not similar to the way Chris Paul played with OKC last year. So he hasn't played his way into that type of value yet. Um, but he's not going to be on this team, I don't feel, for more than a year and a half. I mean, he'll probably play on this team next year. Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, those guys are. But again, that's what this 25 to 30 game stretch that we're going to see remaining in the season is, is about, is giving time to Kevin Porter Jr., watching him develop. You know, I mean, we, we may go into the offseason saying, hey, did you see those final 15 games of the year from Kevin Porter Jr.? And the, you, you know, basically hang your hat on that and say, hey, there's hope here. I mean, we, we saw that. Uh, I remember Goran Dragic to tore it up his final 20 games or so with the Rockets. And everyone's just like, this guy's amazing. Something like that could happen, happen for Kevin Porter Jr. as well. He's going to be given the opportunity at a young age. And let's see what he does with it. I also want to find out what you think about the idea of keeping Kelly Olynyk around because, you know, he has looked really good the first couple of games and I don't think he keeps up this pace, but still, 
his PER after two games is five better than James Harden and Christian Wood with the Rockets this year, which is ridiculous. And the thing about Kelly Olynyk is he just knows how to play the game the right way. It was that Miami Heat culture that he plays with, with you knowing how to move the ball, knowing to move without the ball, where to go, how to set a pick. You know, he gets rebounds. He, he does all the little things that you need on the floor. He's going to play defense for you. And he's somebody that you can put on the floor when Christian Wood's not on the floor, which they desperately need. You know, there's just somebody that's got a little bit of size that's not going to, you know, get crushed inside the way everybody else has. I'm just sick of playing with a bunch of 6'5 and 6'6 guys if Christian Wood's not on the floor. Yeah, and again, it's not Christian Wood's fault, but, I mean, that injury killed him. I mean, they were above 500. They were looking like a, a play a, play-in team they like they might go you know nine or ten seed and you know maybe give somebody a, a hard time but th- they looked like a group of guys that were just scrappy they were going to play hard and christian wood was certainly blossoming that set him back i mean and and there's there's concerns about christian Wood staying healthy i mean he's obviously pretty slim guy i uh, rolled his ankle there that was a, a significant maybe it was just a fluke but you know we got to see him stay healthy and and be that kind of offensive anchor for the team. Yeah, I I mean there's no point in playing small ball as you point as you point out Robert if you can't shoot threes. So if you're out there running Jay Sean Tate at center or, or something similar, you know, some guy who's 6'6 six, six to 6'8, six, you know, out of position, you better have a team that can shoot three-pointers. And if you don't, there's it's just pointless. I mean, for me to answer your question at the begin at the beginning there is how much is Kelly Olenek going to cost? And he is going to be a free agent. So if somebody else could just outright sign him. Hopefully Avery Bradley is able to come out and play. And he has a positive impact because you have a team option on his deal. And if that's the case, you could pick up the team option and then trade him with Olenek, the sign and trade possibilities. If you don't keep him, those are there, but that was kind of, again, the frustrating element of making this trade with Miami because it was literally at the final second. So you didn't have any chance of just, you know, trading Olenek or trading Bradley uh, before that. So we'll we'll see. But they're not in a great position to to make moves with Olenek. And I I would love to keep him around. He seems like a very solid role player, sign him to a deal. And if it has positive value on the market, a trade's always a possibility. But again, that's that's sort of the position they're in right now. I guess my thing with Olenek is... They don't have a ton of cap space, but they've got cap space. They have cap space to give Olenek a deal that, you know, is something similar to what he, he's got right now, which is $12 million a year. And I'm not saying you, you should be paying him $12 million a year, but um, I don't think that's a terrible deal. And also, I just feel like who's going to want to come to the Rockets at this point? Who Who's going to want to sign? We, we, we We're like, oh, we want this guy and that guy. First of all, there's not a lot of free agents out there that you'd be excited about in this market anyway. The guys that you are excited about are restricted free agents that are going to be hard to pry away. Now, maybe you can get a Duncan Robinson away from Miami. I don't think you're getting a John Collins away from Atlanta. Potentially, you could get a Laurie Markin and away from Chicago. But who out there, David, I mean, you've probably looked at the free agents. I mean, who out there would get you excited if you're a Rockets fan to pay $20 million a year on, for example? Uh, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> well, yeah. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, of course, but like, yeah, no. There's, I, I don't look at free agency as the key, and I know this is very tough. There are a lot of teams in the lottery that stay in the lottery. The Rockets have to draft well. I mean, you've 
talked about a lot of great players, such as Kawhi Leonard. You, you mentioned this to me before we were on the podcast. You know, they, they've gone in the mid-first round. The Rockets have to draft well. It's not just about getting the number one pick each year and getting the Cade Cunningham of the draft. It, you have to draft well and, and add pieces, uh, you know, every year. You can't really miss out on on a lot of these picks. I don't look at anybody who's on the free agent market and say this is the key to turning this thing around. I look at the draft or trading those draft assets, which I have, in my opinion, tremendous value, especially looking at the way things went on the deadline, Robert. At the deadline, picks and and young rookie guys seem to have enormous value. I mean, I was surprised, you know, R.J. Hampton in a first round pick was basically part of the package to get Aaron Gordon, two second round picks for Evan Fournier. Miami wouldn't even give up any of their young guys for Victor Oladipo. I mean, to me, draft picks and early stage rookie contract guys in their first or second year of a four-year deal are more valuable than they've ever been. And so the Rockets should be focused on that or leveraging that value to get exactly what they want. My, my, where, I, where I'm nervous is they go and do it for a guy who's pure win right now or on the slight end of his contract, end of his prime, uh, like a Bradley Beal, uh, something like that. I, I don't want to see them pounce on an immediate win now guy. I want to see them get some young players. Let me ask you about a team like the Pelicans because they're in an interesting situation and the Rockets and the Pelicans could play a little ball this offseason. What would you think about this? Number one, Lonzo Ball, he's a free agent. He's a restricted guy. I don't know if they're going to want to spend the money on him. I don't know if you'd be interested in Lonzo Ball. But if they want to keep Lonzo Ball, you know they, they're they going to want to get off that, who is it, uh, Eric Bledsoe's contract. So if you're the Rockets and Bledsoe's got next year for $18 million, and then I think it's about $4 million the following year where you can buy him out, would you take a draft pick from the Pelicans to take that contract up their hands because you're going to have John Wall next year. And I don't know what you can do with the team with John Wall next year. So why not take on another guy? You're speaking my language now. They should be embracing the fact that, okay, we're not going to win an NBA championship this year. We're not going to win an NBA championship next year. Let's hope to have an NBA be contending or playoff contending at least in 23 or, or something along those lines. Don't be impatient. So given that, you can say we will be willing to pay this salary, you know, if they can fit it in and take it on for assets. That's what OKC has done consistently. I mean, Kelly Oubre, Trevor Ariza, Al Horford, and they just keep stockpiling picks. And they may never hit on any of those picks, but they will eventually get value out of them, whether they draft or, or, or trade. And that's what the Rockets need to be doing. They need to be you know, I think it's OKC, the Pelicans, and now the Rockets. I mean, they, they these guys own so much of the draft real estate in the next few years. So, yes, I'm interested in, in a scenario like that. Yeah, the Pelicans are going to be desperate because not only is Lonzo a restricted free agent, but they love Josh Hart, and he's a restricted free agent too. They've also got that crummy Stephen Adams contract, which is I don't. And why did they take <laughs> that deal? I, I don't. I don't. I mean that. And I think they even gave. Didn't they even give a first to OKC for that? He, he actually got a bump in pay. I thought he was overpaid when he was OKC. I thought he got an increase in salary to do that deal because he took an extension. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think that was a smart move personally from from uh, the Pelicans. According to Spotrack, he's making twenty seven this year, and then he's got an extension 
that goes next year and the year after, and it's seventeen million and then eighteen million dollars the next two years. Okay, so I guess I'm wrong. He did take less, I guess. I mean, in other words, from what he was making in his original overpay with OKC, but he did. I think it's condition of that deal. It was the extension. They've made a lot of good moves, but they landed Zion right away. And so that changed their thinking. I mean, they have Zion, and this is the second year of his rookie deal. They've got to put themselves in a great position before they, you know, max him out. And they're on a different timeline. The Rockets don't have their Zion yet. I mean, Christian Wood's a good player. Kevin Porter Jr. is a good player. You know, these guys aren't on the, the level, at least not yet, of a Luka or a Zion or even a John Morant. They need somebody like that. You know, could Cade Cunningham be that type of player? I mean, again, we're talking about a 14% chance right now of the Rockets landing the number one pick. Hey, maybe. But, you know, that gets you in the ballgame. And and things could change if you're able to get somebody like that. Yeah, and in my opinion, if, if you do get one of those top four picks, if you are able to keep that high lottery pick, I don't know if I want to get into the Eric Bledsoe business for a year. Um, because the likelihood is you're getting a guard and I don't know how you're going to deal with Eric Bledsoe sitting on the back of the bench because is Eric Bledsoe going to play instead of Kevin Porter, the guard that you got in the draft, John Wall, like where is he on the pecking order and and how much of a malcontent are you going to have at the end of the bench with Eric Bledsoe kind of waiting out to the end of his contract, if you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, those, those are factors too. I mean, obviously it affects the mood of players if, if you're just the team that, you know, they're kind of throwing in the towel, so to speak. I mean, granted, don't get me wrong. The Rockets will be busting it, trying to win and all those things. But, you know, if your roster management and asset management is basically saying, okay, we're taking on some some bad contracts in order to get draft picks, it sends a message. So I want to ask you one thing before we go about Rafael Stone, because he's getting a lot of credit for some of the moves that he made, but the Christian Wood signing and the Jay Sean Tate signing, I felt like those probably were something that was discussed between him and Daryl. Like that was maybe the whole front office had discussed that. Had, that would that was a Daryl potentially idea. So I don't know if I should give him credit. I, I give him credit for the Kevin Porter thing. He pounced on that. Really smart move. But I'm not sure if everybody's kind of giving him the Tate Wood thing. But I'm like, well, Daryl was around until the end of the season. Remember, there was this very short offseason, and Daryl was around till the end of that offseason or to the end of last season. So all of a sudden, right after Daryl leaves, they, they do the Christian Wood deal. They do the Jay Sean Tate deal. Is that wrong to maybe take a little bit of credit away from Stone on those two moves? I think so. I mean, yeah, Daryl may have. I mean, obviously, they didn't just evaluate Christian Wood after Daryl left. I mean, they, they obviously had done some homework before Daryl left. But I, I think it would be giving him too much credit um, in, in this particular instance for Christian Wood or even Jay Sean Tate. I mean, yeah, they, like I said, they may have done that, but they still have a very smart front office. I mean, they, they, Eli and, you know, he helps out uh, Rafael. Rafael. It was kind of news to me. I knew Rafael had the, you know, he was basically their main lawyer. It was kind of news to me that he was always there with Daryl and, and always involved in, in making these moves because I, I looked at it as more the legal side as opposed to the, you know, side where he had any kind of player input. So I think he's experienced for the gig. 
Patrick Fertitta is really good as well. He, I mean, he, he didn't come in as the, you know, sort of this, you know, great talent evaluator, but he's been, from what I understand, very good with the front office as well. Plays a key role. I, I give them credit for those moves. I mean, even if Daryl was, was part of that deal, they still went out and made it happen. One light question to end with the marketing department. Do you discuss anything with them about anything with these uniforms? Because I'm curious <laughs> what you think about number one, the blue uniforms and number two, everybody loves the ketchup and mustard uniforms. If there's one thing that the Rockets need right now is some good vibes. Can you get them to bring back the ketchup and mustards? Can we go back to old school already? I mean, everybody loves these blue unis, but I don't think Rockets fans want to go to the blue uniforms permanently. I think we want to keep red. So let's go back to the ketchup and mustard. Let's let's go old school. Let's bring back some positive vibes. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think the, the last time the Rockets were this bad in the lottery, they were also wearing blue, right? So uh, I personally, let me just say it like this. I like those jerseys, they, they give me an Oilers vibe, a Houston vibe. I, I like them. I don't like watching the Rockets play in them and the court being blue, and it just doesn't feel like the Houston Rockets. Right. Maybe it would be different if the, if the arenas were packed right now. Obviously, COVID's making that impossible all, you know, across the country, but it just does not feel right to me. I watch it, and I'm just like, this doesn't feel like the Rockets. But I, I love the jerseys. I think they look really sharp. I think Rocket Girl, Brianne on Twitter, she's really good with the fashion and everything. I think she she makes the blue, as far as a fashion statement, look really good. I think there's lots of ways you can use that. I think it looks sharp. It's just it's not the Rockets. That's the best way I could put it. I mean, even you could go out in dark blue, and that would be more Rockets to me than this this Columbia blue that we're, we're seeing. Uh, and to answer your question, I, I think they know about it. I mean, they've, they've got, brought them back as throwbacks. Um, the, the red and yellow, they know that's important. Even during their, you know, contending years and going into the Western Conference Finals, they embraced red and yellow quite a bit. I come from the background where we, for 10 years, if not more, we wanted some black jerseys. They finally got black jerseys. I love them. I think their black jerseys look really good. I like to see them go to those a little bit more. But yeah, I, I'm hoping that this light blue, as far as playing in these jerseys, is more of a a one-off. Yeah, I like the blue jerseys more than the black, but... Oh, you do? You like these light blue jerseys more than the black ones? Yeah, I mean, the black ones might huh. look better in person, but on television, the blue ones are better on television than the black ones. But I, I just... I, I want to see the ketchup and mustard be permanent. I, let's bring them back permanently. Because you know what nobody cares about right now? The Rockets' regular supposed quote everyday jerseys and it seems like they've been wearing the blue jerseys half the season literally so let's get a jersey that everybody would be excited about on a regular basis and the the one that everybody would be excited about i think is the ketchup and mustard and going old school i mean i just i feel like you know ever since they went away from that you know we have won a championship you know, they went away from that right after you win two championships. <laughs> like, how can you do that? How, why in the world would you leave your jerseys after winning two championships with those jerseys? And, and, it's, and it's the one that the team had for ages. I just don't get it. You know, if they just had been wearing some yellow, Chris Paul wouldn't have pulled that hamstring and they would have won a title. Let's say that. I think, you know what I think it was? It was if he would have had the yellow ink, his, 
his uh, hamstring would have been in better shape because there would have been more ink on the jersey, David. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I I think they've done a pretty good job to be honest. But but yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, a lot of people want to want to go right back to that. I think they do do a good job of of bringing those colors back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they they've embraced black more as a as a primary color for their team because I think you're even seeing it in the secondary logo, which is, you know, became sort of the round, uh, you know, globe shape as opposed to this just standard red R, which disappears on so many different, uh, you know, pr- uh, prints and productions. I think that they're there. They went with the black, uh, circle there for the, for that secondary logo. But yeah, it, it's, it would be nice. It's just not, not there yet as, as a full primary. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Hopefully, we'll be talking about some more wins next year, the next time you and I get together or later this year or something like that. But uh, it's clutchfans.net. You, you got any other projects going on these days, David? No, other than just you know em- embracing the draft. I mean, everyone right now is, is uh, trying to study prospects and things like that. And I, and I don't want to sound too down you know, to people who are Rocket fans, Houston fans that are listening. I, I mean, it's a, it's a rough year. This is, but this is part of the, the, the rebuild process, and I think we're going to have a blast. I should say during the draft and everything leading up to the draft, and I think you know the, the forums are usually going crazy around that time. The Rockets now have real pieces there. They haven't for years. I mean, it's, they've been trading away their first round picks, and now they're going to have uh, probably three this year, uh, if not one in the top four. They're going to have Miami's, Portland's, and uh, Milwaukee's. So. You know, it's it's not the sexiest proposition is, you know, we're not we're not watching the Rockets go to the Western Conference finals, but it is going to be a fun process and seeing the Rockets add players that we're going to be rooting for for years. So I uh, encourage all Rocket fans to to stick it out. It's going to be a fun, a fun process. And I want to remind everybody, if you're a Rockets fan, you want to get that vaccine as soon as possible, because if you get the vaccine, <laughs> Absolutely. then we get a Rockets draft party in late June because the virus is in better shape, right, David? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, these we're going to have draft parties for years now. I mean, before uh, there, there have been draft parties where the Rockets didn't have a first or second round pick, and it's like, you know, great, we're the party favors. You know, not much going on here, and now there's there's a lot to to care about, and the Rockets just need one. They need one great player to you know one great prospect, excuse me, to turn things around to to turn the outlook around and, and change the direction that they're going in. I mean, in my opinion, it's got to come through the draft. Well, thanks again, David. And for anybody that missed it, we talked about the Houston Cougars final four coming up and our last podcast. And we talked about Texans and all sorts of good stuff in our podcast yesterday. Just a reminder, we love your feedback questions or topics or whatever you got for us through Twitter, Facebook, email info at Houston sportsdoc.net. You can get, Get a hold of us all of those different ways. Stay healthy and safe, everybody, and get those vaccine shots. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.